All right, Stephen. So, so here's the big idea for this episode. Um, this is uh, this is something I'm pretty passionate about, and that's the whole idea of leadership. Uh, but specifically, an experience I had that kind of informed me that leadership through intimidation not only fails in general, uh, but it also I think fails to inspire even where said leader thinks it might. Um, but it does kind of succeed sometimes in the facade of masking incompetence. Mm. So uh, that's what we're here to talk today about. True leadership, uh, which is what we want to shoot for, uh, stems from the fundamentals of respect and integrity. And so we're getting, we're getting kind of back to basics on this episode of the Walk the Way podcast. We're going to talk about bad bosses uh kind of uh and 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 some experiences we've had with them and the lessons uh at least that i want to tell from my story that i had to learn the hard way about overcoming the fear of speaking up you know i had this this boss once uh his name was kylo Kylo Ren. That's that was the one. Yes, uh, and every every time we failed him, he would bust out his lightsaber and chop up all of our computer systems and scream and yell. God, that guy! I he traumatized mm. me. You know that guy. That guy. <laughs> you know, we started this episode right right before I hit the record button. Of course, there's the Lizzo news this week. Liz, Lizzo's in the news for. Some uh, maybe not being the greatest boss, and and we was talking like, man, my my kind of anecdote. Uh, I wrote a piece for for this is the way about my experience. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But it kind of now feels a little tame um, compared to what's been in the news. Yeah, I so. I'll I mean I'll I'll give the I'll give the the overview of the the Lizzo story just because it, it was on our minds a little bit coming into this because Lizzo is, is mm. definitely a, a media star. She's got the respect of a lot of the entertainment press and she's got this huge fan base of, of lots of young and, and middle-aged girls. Mm. Um, or did about 72 hours ago. Mm-hmm. Um. And Lizzo, Lizzo is facing uh, employment lawsuits now from her dancers on her tour who have been experiencing all sorts of intimidation, kind of body shaming, but also uh, sexual harassment in the form of pressuring them into performing sexual acts at nightclubs. Basically, she's dragging mm. she's dragging her employees out at night when they might actually prefer to be in their hotel room, not paying them for their time, uh, and then coercing them into performing pretty grotesque acts at the sex clubs that Lizzo likes to go to for fun. Um, you know, bosses have a tendency in all sorts of environments to treat their employees like NPCs in their stories. Uh, to treat them mm. like accessories, to treat them like tools. Um, when you forget that you're dealing with people who are on their own journeys as well and treat them just like they're the yeah. bots, uh, you're going to end up uh, with a settlement. <laughs> you're going to end up paying a, a wrongful termination settlement, a sexual harassment yeah. settlement. You got to remember that there are other people on on their story. 
No, that's that's a really good way of putting it. I actually always I always like that illustration. Um, which if you're not a gamer, not NPC, non-player character, you know, it's just the person who just kind of uh, appears randomly in your journey and is like, you should take the the branch to the west and explore that mountain area, you know. And and usually, I think it's especially become um the reason it kind of became a more political term is that there is a stereotype of just like. Mm, bot say thing and uh barely interact move on you know recite certain one of three lines this character will recite over and over again and so the context works in a lot of ways when we discuss cultural things but in the the whole bad boss situation i think that it's it's very apropos because you know, people use NPC as kind of like an insulting slur sometimes uh, when they're criticizing uh, someone else's political. Yeah, views. to make them make them uh, rightly or wrongly, concerts, but yeah. it's, it's you know it just made me. Th- yeah, sorry. No, I was gonna say rightly or wrongly because I don't know. I th- I think that was immediately what I thought of when you thought when you think of a a, a bad boss uh, kind of treating the people in their life like NPCs. I'm like, yeah, that's a very apropos point yeah now i i want to hear about your experience uh riley because you know you've you've yeah. uh you've you've had your career in the military i can't even imagine what kind of uh bosses that you've had because you know my bosses are gonna seem really tame uh compared to yours <laughs> <laughs> well i mean uh, that's the thing about uh my job at least or at least in the military in general is a lot of these things are pretty universal and I think sometimes there's a tendency to over um, over differentiate the military experience from the rest of life. Um, I mean, war wartime and certain jobs obviously they're, are very different. But as a large, giant bureaucratic arm of the American government, <laughs> uh, it's it is in a lot of ways. There's we have our own office moments, and I'll never. I, I just finished up a, a tour in in Korea. I was there for a year. And uh, very early on, I had a very uh, brief um, interaction. I was and I was struggling, man, when I was writing this piece because, like, the point is not like the players involved, and it always feels strange to talk about these things publicly, especially like when you talk about your real life and real job. But that's like something that Stephen, you and I talked about when we were going to do Walk the Way in general, which is no, let's actually get real. Let's talk about the things we struggle with in life through the context of. Um, our favorite stories. And man, this is like a real life struggle for me. It was a very brief window where um, I had a, a boss that I, I didn't work for that long. It was a very short period of time. But in a very short period of time, I had a, a just a couple different feedback sessions where it became really obvious that the primary struggle that my team and really the, the entire work environment as a result of this had to struggle with, which was the difference between working with your subordinates and the things you would say and put forward then versus when, um, you know, the colonel walks in the room and, and it's just dealing with two very different, uh, uh, people. And I had one specific feedback session where I, I now recognize I was not the target of this person's, uh, wrath. I, I, I don't know if it was like a wrong side of the bed that morning situation, but it was it was um, almost you know you say NPC uh, Stephen uh, the the conversation which wasn't a conversation at all um, 
wasn't actually related to work or work performance. It was almost a strange recitation of everything this person was frustrated with in the military. This person been in the military a long time. And so it was almost sort of like in the world of politics, you'll hear people that kind of suddenly go into almost NPC mode and start reciting a series of talking points of things that they're frustrated with politically. And you can almost identify exactly like what radio show you listen to or who your favorite political commentator is because you're just kind of reciting the exact same things. Same thing kind of happens in the military, especially with traditionalists where, you know, the military's changed a lot and it's the subject of a lot of controversy these days. And I think that the the, um, the essential uh, uh, ranting of of this individual exposed a few things um, for me, which was one. In the moment, I was very intimidated and didn't want to say anything uh, because it's a very structured kind of environment. Um, and what I realized was is that. That disconnect between who this person was when interacting with the team and leadership was really uh, hurting uh, anyone on the team's ability to to actually make a difference and perform in the things that we were trying to do um, because everyone was so afraid of doing anything that would be perceived the wrong way. So all of the milestones, all of the the goals, the whole kind of work environment had been shaped around making. Uh, the boss happy instead of and, and you know this is both military and in general setting up the the actual milestones of what you as a team are trying to accomplish instead of saying these are the goals these are the priorities um th- it was what whatever happened to be of concern of that moment which was much more about whether or not you look oh, good to the Riley. it's a tale as yeah, old as time, yeah, right? that's the, so that's actually <laughs> so important and i'm glad that you laid it out that way the difference between knowing the mission, why are you there, and coming to work every day to make your boss happy, because those two things can sometimes not not share the same space. Uh, but if you have mm. a shared mission, you know what you're doing and why, then you'll know when your boss's happiness is not the the most important thing and and the boss will know too. Last night I was watching The West Wing, uh, you know, a wonderful mm. show for creating political NPCs because everybody in the show is <laughs> basically spouting very neat and tidy um, political rhetoric. But uh, there's this episode where the the boss, the the president's chief of staff, Leo McGarry, is going to be subpoenaed in front of Congress and basically embarrassed about having a past as a drug and alcohol addict. Um, and so his team, knowing that this threatens the president's agenda, that this threatens everything that they want to accomplish in the year ahead, they go so far as to fight back, to actually fight back against the people in Congress who are about to smear their boss, Leo. Leo wants to be a martyr. He wants to be thrown under the bus because he doesn't want to drag down the White House. So he's he's ready mm. to just like light himself on fire. And I remember this yeah, episode, and, yeah. And Sam Seaborn, played by, shoot, I just forgot his name. Uh, the incredibly handsome man who I also just yeah. forgot. <laughs> Rob, Rob, Lowe. Lowe. Rob Lowe. Yeah, yeah, Sam Seaborn, played by Rob Lowe, defies him and does a bunch of things anyways to protect Leo. Uh, and Leo's furious, but Sam does not apologize. He says, this is what we're here to do. And hmm. it's it, he knows that like what the mission is and what they're really fighting for every day. And Leo does too. And after he gets over his pride, 
he understands why they did what they did in his defense. Um, mm. Yeah, you got to yeah. know what the mission is. No, it's well, and that that's such a great illustration because, and that that was my experience, and and who knows if any if if any of my uh, fellow officers who worked with me in Korea uh, ever listened to this. That the the good news is that was a very that was a, like a two week period of when I first arrived. And I, uh, later on, like, is actually towards, especially towards the end of the assignment, I had one of the best supervisors, best bosses I, I'd ever had. And it was that exact reason. It was, it was understanding both, uh, the unit's mission that I was part of and exactly what our priorities were within that mission. And so you suddenly, then you had the autonomy to, um, either, either buy in or not. But it, I think the the intimidation factor that I was talking about before created an environment of fear where people were afraid to try new things, afraid to solve problems proactively. You would wait to be to respond to whatever the direct task was. Whereas I think a, a, the environment that you're talking about, the Sam Seaborn created, is like he, they know, and that's the that's the beautiful thing about the West Wing, even if it is sort of a. Uh, um, I don't know, idealized form of what we wish a White House staff would be like, what we would imagine uh, one would be like in an ideal world. Um, it is. It, it, you, you want that, that, that tight-knit um, team. And I think, I don't know, I, 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 the, the other part that I really wanted to talk to you, Stephen, mostly about the episode is, is at the time, I, I, I told myself, eh, it really doesn't matter. You know, the t- uh, t- things are changing anyway. You know, I didn't think this guy was going to be there super long. You know, like I say, career assignments are typically one year. Um, it's They're very fast paced, but, you know, it's a lot of change very quickly um, in the military um, when you're in Korea. But um, at the, what I realized is that there is plenty of appetite and I didn't know higher level leadership, but like they didn't want that. And, and, and the better bosses I had later in the assignment understood that and became advocates uh, for us. And that told me something that I, I wish I had, had realized at the time, and that is my sort of very innate people-pleasing nature. Like it's, it's, it's uncomfortable for me to talk about this at all because I feel like, oh, wow, this is kind of like, this is actual people that I've worked with or been around, you know, like I should probably just not say anything just in case anyone were ever upset about something I said. But um, it, it, when I was, it was literally painful for me to write this piece because I'm so um, uh, usually timid about these things, like just very transparently. And I think that was my main takeaway, which is at the time, I honestly probably had way more power and influence than I thought I did mm-hmm. if I just communicated because I knew what the I knew what our jobs were and what the mission was and if I had and if I had more clearly communicated and even and even rallied um, some of the key players within the organization to say hey this isn't working for these reasons we need to change this um, so why didn't you stand they, up to that, this guy that was I and I think that's that was that was the lesson it was it was transparently just uh, my desire to not rock the boat and and my fear of the existing kind of um power structure that's that's there for a reason in the military um outweighed my frustration um with uh with the lack of leadership and and i think this isn't about just being being the route you know i was we've all seen andor seen Kino Loy, you know, standing up and fighting against mm-hmm. the, the the man in the machine. You know, I, it, my job, I'm kind of part of the machine in a strange way. But I think if I understood, if I understood how to um, 
if I'd understood the impact that was being made, um, I would be a lot more, um, I would have been a lot more courageous. You know, we were talking about this in, in last week's episode. And that was fundamentally my, my failure there was that it was just a lack of courage in the moment. Um, because I, my natural instinct was to favor the status quo, uh, and to just kind of duck and dodge until I, you know, until the situation resolved itself, you know, instead of being willing to cause a little friction to try to solve this, this, this problem. Yeah. And you mentioned Kino Loy from Andor. Uh, so this is, you know, the guy who runs kind of the, the prison camp and, and keeps all the, all mm-hmm. his fellow inmates in line, um, you know, he's a he's a good example of what you said earlier in the episode, which is that the people, the bosses that you might have in the military are really no different from bosses anywhere else. They just happen to have jobs in the military. Uh, you know, Kino, yeah. Kino Loy, you know, he had a lot of leadership traits and skills and, and interesting, you know, background traits that made him a very effective uh, inmate prison boss to do the dirty work yeah. of the empire. Uh, but he also could have applied those skills in any other place. And in so many ways were products of just whatever environment that we, we walk right into. But if our environment were to change and we allow ourselves to change with it, like we could be a completely different person um, or, or the mm, same or yeah. the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but that's the disconnect isn't it it's when if if i i think here's what it has is as i've over the years and the older i get uh and the more settled i've been in my career the more kind of clear i've i've developed my own personal values about certainly about work but in life in general but those when those were come came into conflict the old instincts kicked in instead of defending those values and i think that was if i were to like put it more simply and succinctly that that was my greatest regret um, of of that specific interaction and 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 of I think that time uh, in my assignment. I think going forward, it's it's really given me a lot of uh, the, the reflection and that experience. That sort of you know that feeling, Stephen, when you're, you're just like, oh, I wish I said this, yeah. man. I sh- I could have said that. You know, like it that that very base high school level um, instinct, but now reflected on like real values that I have that I didn't stick up for. I think that that experience has really helped me moving forward so that when I encounter, I see someone uh, or certainly as I, you know, the further I get my career, the more uh, people I supervise. I, um, I, I see that if I see these things happening, if I see that level of intimidation or power tripping um, or fear within a culture, like that's my mandate now. You is is to speak up and, and try to change Speaking it. Speaking up is important. And there can be, you know, the context where you need to speak up against a bad boss or a bully or a colleague who is, you know, destroying everything that you're working to build. Uh, but then there's mm. also kind of just the, the job of speaking up in a more positive context. It, this reminds me of my first boss uh, at an organization I worked for right out of college. He scared the crap out of me. He was the the executive director Mm. of the nonprofit organization where I was working. And I was so terrified of this person, but I actually remember him now as being a good boss. It was at the the Monday morning meeting. I was now working in the headquarters instead of in the field. And he kind of calls everybody together and he's got an issue that he wants everybody to discuss. 
He wants the the team to work on something. And nobody at the meeting was speaking up. Nobody was willing to be the person who goes, I, I have an idea about this thing. And he slams his hand on the table and reminds all of us that you are not here uh, to just listen to me and act. You are here to contribute and to build. Your salaries are tied to your ability to create value. And when we get hit, when, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this point, but he's like, when we get together, when mm. we get together to discuss these things and I put a motion on the floor, you are expected to contribute. And mm. that left a good impression on me. Because I do believe of the job of an employee at a at a company or a nonprofit is to add value. That is why you're there, and your salary should be tied to that, not just showing up. Um, and so I started speaking up. I started doing things. I started saying what my opinion was, yeah. even if it was half formed or dumb. And it's amazing how far that took me in my career. There, it helped me advance a lot just to talk, but. You'll also have people in any environment who talk and they have nothing to say, <laughs> you know? So it's like we talked, we talked about the, the ability to speak does not make you intelligent line from Qui-Gon. Yes, yes. And so you'll have some employees who figure this out. They'll figure out that mm. if they talk, they can fake their way through the day. Uh, but in a more positive light, that boss really scaring everybody and reminding everybody mm. what they work for and how they get paid. I've never forgotten that. And I bring that to every job that I have, which is show up, say something, speak up. And that also includes holding people accountable when they're not living by the values of your organization. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's, a, it's a tough... Um, I, I, I've, I find myself struggling to articulate some of these things because of, of my own um, hesitation sometimes to talk about how how real this is and how how strange and different it is to like bring these actual experiences in but i think it's it is important and i and i think in that distinction you're talking about steven you can have a very assertive boss um and, and that's i don't know that's the difference between pure aggression and assertiveness and i think and i think really what makes the difference is the the underlying uh values because uh, he, in the uh, in the Air Force, the the O six, the bird, the colonel, is kind of the the operational level god. I mean, that's just the the way these things work. In an organization, it is the uh, uh, wing commanders typically, or division commanders in air operations centers. These are these are the levels. These are the the guy in in what's the um in, in band of brother. It would be the uh, Above, brigade and above level leadership. If you if you want to kind of connect to the level of organizational uh, power and leadership and and responsibility that you have at that level, and that was ultimately who we're working for. And and like our boss, I remember like he was he's a he was a tough guy to work for, but man, he had a very clear vision for exactly what we were going to accomplish to make a difference. Um, for the Korea, for the Korean mission set, and for for U.S. strategic priorities, like if you asked him, he knew exactly, and he could boil it down. And every staff meeting, he was kind of silly. Kind of reminds me of of your first boss when you talk about that. Is that his willingness to be demanding um, at first really threw me off, but over time, as he built, and it took time, but as he built more rapport and respect with 
the overall team that that foundation was based on values. So his pure aggression, he's an aggressive guy, mm-hmm. um, was was directed often on our behalf, <laughs> which is kind of an, a, a unique experience. It was at us sometimes to like accomplish the mission, but also then on our behalf as we started working on the mission and other organizations we'd be depending on or trying to to get on our team. And you you would want that guy in the in this in the board in basically the boardroom meeting, quote unquote, at like a, a, a staff meeting and beyond mm-hmm. where guys with stars on their shoulders, generals show up who are making like theater, like area of operation wide decision making on hundreds of millions of dollars of U.S. military assets. And he's the guy that you want uh, arguing for your team in the room because, man, he uh, he was he was an aggressive guy, but he had a clear vision and clear values behind uh, what we were doing and why we were doing it. And I think that makes a huge difference um, and gives you a lot of latitude for for um, uh, how how aggressive you can be with your team uh, in the context of leadership, and that's I, I think that taught me a lot. Yeah, so don't go Kylo Ren on the on the computer consoles to uh, to make a point and inspire your troops. Yeah, yeah, maybe a, a little. There bit. was um, yeah. in the world of Star Wars, it's interesting because like a lot of the. Um, Imperial leadership is based on fear, you mm-hmm. know, and that's a lot of the incom- uh, incompetence. Uh, they're just trying to show off for the boss. You know, that's what Admiral Ozel was doing, right? Right. It's like, my lord, he thought surprise would be the superior. He's as clumsy as he is stupid. Um, I've, you know, we've, if you've been in the military long enough, you've seen the Admiral Ozels running around. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're they're really good supporting characters, you know. There yes. was a there was an article in Axios by Jim Vandehei. This is the guy who helped co-found Politico, kind of one of the most important political blogs that exist in Washington, D.C. And at Axios, he gave some tips for dealing with bad bosses and sort of a rundown of Mm -hmm. things that you should do to get your thoughts in order about the bad boss experience. And I read this while I was at a place where I had a really bad boss. This was last year in 2022. And... Mm. A really effective bad boss is a gaslight. Is a gaslighter. Um, you know, they they mm. make you they make you believe that you're the problem. <laughs> they're very and they're very very good at it. And I, I it sounds like you're describing my first two weeks in yeah, Korea. <laughs> I, I had come I had come to this job with a great amount of confidence yeah. and. And it's, mm. you should always, it's, it's good to be humble. It's good to be humble sometimes, yes. but I came to this job yeah. with a great amount of self-confidence and belief in what I could do. Uh, but a, a bad boss is very talented at breaking that down, um, at their mm. own benefit and not the benefit of the company. And so this, this rundown to help you order your thoughts so that you can see clearly, it begins with yes. sharpening your thinking. What exactly? is the boss doing that's making it hard for you and others to thrive. So you have to think not just, is this person hurting my feelings, which hurting your feelings is yes. not a crime, um, but is are they doing something that is making it hard for you to deliver the product that you are supposed to be delivering? And then you have to discuss it with other people who you work with. <laughs> and that, well, and Stephen, this is the thing because 
I, that sounds at first like it might be a really easy step to do, but that's tough because often I think those concentric circles, I know for me, both of those things were true. And that's, so you have to be able to parse that to be honest with yourself. And I think it took me some time and reflection to actually be able to do that. Sounds like that was the case for you too. Yeah, no, it is. And, and you have to have a gut check about this, which means you do have to have those, you know, those happy hours after work where you go and discuss things at the office with some people who are at your level. It's very important that if you're going to quote unquote complain about things at work, you know, talk negatively about what might be going on, that you are not doing that with your subordinates. Uh, anybody, anybody mm -hmm. listening to this has probably seen Saving Private Ryan. You should remember what Tom Hanks character says when they are marching outward to go find Private Ryan and his entire crew, his company is complaining about the mission and they ask him for his opinion. They're like, what do you think? And he, he says, I'm not going to complain to you. I complain up <laughs> because, you know, that's what, that's what yep. a good leader does. I don't complain down. And so you got to have a gut check, but you need to do it with people who are at your level sort of in the organization or above, never below. And then from there, you've got to actually write things down. This is where journaling comes in super handy because yeah. we are all very good at compartmentalizing and packaging slights against us and things that are undermining us. And you need to write things down and keep a log uh, because when you come across abusive personalities in your life, particularly in work, you need to keep receipts. Uh, you need to actually be able to remember what goes on on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't remember things well. And no, I don't remember no, things well. Yeah. I'm very good at jettisoning uh, offenses and information. <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. keep a log. That's that's puts you on this path. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want to be in a mode of trying to understand what is going on, not make accusations yeah. against other people. Exactly. And that's what this, it's about understanding and processing these things uh, it, from a place of reflection, not a place of like, uh, like I'm going to make a laundry list of every person I work with. So I have dirt on them. No, this is like about being able to, to clearly process, especially if you're like Steven and I, which I think we, we overlap a lot in this way where it's so easy to just, um, as I, as I did with this boss, just kind of compartmentalize or not, not say anything or not think about it and just hope it would go away. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and and then beyond that, you have an opportunity to talk to this person, to have a dialogue, and to discuss things in terms of solutions, because solutions have to be good for the organization. And if you are able to come together on what works for the mission of the organization and the objectives that you two share, then you might be able to solve this issue with your bad boss. But there are also mm. just chances that this is not going to get any better. And so realizing that change can be hard for some people and that some people cannot be changed, employees dealing with bad bosses have to eventually confront reality. And that might mean leaving. That might mean this is a bad place to be. The longer I stay here, I am like participating in this. I am feeding this. Yes. And you need mm -hmm. to actually have the courage in defense of a bunch of other things to walk away. Um, you know, yeah. and not not be there contributing or feeding the bad boss because they will devour you. 
Yeah. No, and that's a that's a tough balance to strike. I mean, you know, that even applies. I I, I right now I can think of any of my uh, Air Force buds listening to this like why well, I, I don't i can't i don't even have a choice i can't do that <laughs> that's a unique part of our career we don't get to walk away <laughs> it's like on a contract you sign but that i i would even challenge that i think regardless of how much your maybe your income depends if you're not military if you're military and you're on orders and you're literally assigned to a unit and you can't change who's who your boss is i i still think that we have way more opportunity for influence uh, than we think and i think um most most people in good faith i i think have an innate sense of of right and wrong and treating people well and those that those are just basic good ideas about how to run a workplace and good ideas survive bad bosses and so i think that's where those that opportunity to make that change regardless of how powerless you feel regardless if it's like i can't risk i can't I can't risk this job. I, you know, I've got a family to feed. I have rent to pay. I think the um, the ability to at least reflect on your own power to change things for the better is is really important in these situations. Because if you're like me, your default might be to just take the path of of least resistance or at least conflict, right? Mm. Um, and and that's that's never the best uh, long term solution. What is it you said? A bad idea or a good idea can overcome the bad boss. Oh, yeah. Good ideas. I think good ideas overcome bad bosses. Yeah. And I, I saw that at my last unit. So, yeah. Because that's the, th- yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's, um, when confronted, uh, with, uh, intimidation and fear, um, a, a, a team faces poor performance. Good ideas. When confronted with courage and encouragement, teams perform well. And you know what? Companies, you know the Air Force, uh, nonprofits—they like it when teams perform well. And I think I think maybe the the tie-in there to cap this off. Let's go back to Saving Private Ryan and what Tom Hanks had to do to keep his company together in pursuit of saving Private Ryan uh, and finding him in this movie. Uh, they they don't believe a lot of the guys don't believe in the mission. They they want to be in the main mm. action of the war. They aren't really sure if saving. You know, Private Ryan is actually a noble mission. If this kid really uh, believes in it or, or deserves it, deserves to be taken out of the conflict just because his brothers died, and Hanks does mm. does talk to his team about this very idea um, that this is a bad situation. He's not a bad boss, but it's a good ideas overcome a bad situation kind of deal. Yeah, and the yeah. and the good idea was this kid's mother does not deserve to get another folded flag. And he he convinces them of this by talking to them about why they're all here, that he fighting here in Europe, he's a school teacher back home, and that every time he kills somebody, he feels further and further away from his wife from home. And if saving this private Ryan kid is like the one good thing that they do over here, then that's what they're going to do. And it's when he delivers that monologue to them that their attitude changes and they become a real unified team. Um, you got to have a good idea yeah. for what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, no, that's well, well stated. I will, I will not even uh, sully the end of this podcast by piggybacking on what you just said. I'm just going to say what, what Steven just said. Um, well, well, well played, sir. Let's wrap it up. I think that's going to be the end of this episode of the walk the way podcast. Uh, Stephen, tell the good people where they can find 
Uh, well, not only Walk the Way, but our ongoing uh, written projects at the uh, This Is The Way. Substack. Yeah, you're listening to Walk the Way, and this is a product of This Is The Way on Substack. You can read from Riley and myself on Substack at thisistheway.substack.com. Here in the next week, it might actually be thisistheway.com. I think I might have gotten the domain, but I know, wait, knock on stay, wood. stay tuned. Uh, you can read some of these things that we are discussing on that site and uh, and be prepared for these podcasts and these YouTube shows before they come out. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent 89. Uh, that's Stephen underscore Kent 89 and walk the way show on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can find me at the Riley guy, but yeah, if uh, the links to this episode, this is episode five, I will be at uh, walktheway.buzzsprout.com. That's the website. You can find the notes uh, as well as a link to the original piece I wrote about, uh, well, bad bosses. But you know what? I think it, it became, I, I really enjoyed this conversation, Stephen. It became about so much more uh, than that. So um, I'm going to go and watch Saving Private Ryan tonight. That's what I'm going to do. Um, it's been a minute, actually. I really should go watch it again. So. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Until next time, guys. Remember, I'm going to steal it from Qui Gon Jinn. I, th- I think I'm going to make this the thing. This is going to be the, the the takeaway for the for the podcast. Remember, your focus determines your reality. This is the way. Mm. And there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> <laughs> of the very, you know, so many quotable lines from Qui Gon. Yeah, that's that's you that know, should be the, the ability to speak does not make attention, but that really should be the unironic. That should be the ironic T-shirt that we make. There's is there's a always a bigger fish. fish. Walk the way. There's always. A <laughs> yeah, that's that. That would actually be pretty funny. <laughs> All right, man. I'm out. I'm ducking. Head heading to work. Uh, Thank you.